Yeah, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Um, put in my notes, not coffee, Greg. I actually put that in there. No, not coffee. I'm not talking Mountain Dew or a shower or that, you know, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about what, what gets you up in the morning. What, what gets you up and gives you joy and life and gets you moving each day? It's a rhetorical question now. We're good. So I like the participation, though. Keep it coming. Uh, maybe it's to provide for your family. Maybe it's to love on your kids. Maybe it's to, to you really enjoy your job. Maybe you have a hobby that you really like. Or maybe for you, most days, it's pretty aimless. And you don't have a lot of motivation to get up, if you are honest. Or maybe for you, and this is probably true for some of us, for most of us to some degree, is that each day it's something different. It's like, oh, I'm having lunch at Jimmy John's today. Or, you know, I've got this hobby, this thing going on today I'm looking forward to. Or, um, and then there's other days where it's like, eh, not, not much. Not much is motivating me to get up today. Well, in 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, Paul actually gives Timothy a pretty motivating reason to get up in the morning. And he, he's going to tell Timothy, we're going to see this, if you get up every day and fight a fight that you are guaranteed to win, and it won't be easy, Timothy, but if you, if you do this, it will be well worth giving your life to. I mean, who wouldn't want to get up in the morning with that sort of motivation? To get up and fight knowing you have the victory, knowing you have a guaranteed W. I mean, I don't, I don't care if you're a natural fighter in life or not. Everyone loves a guaranteed win. So if you could just get up and have this guaranteed W before you. Well, that is exactly what Paul tells Timothy he can have. And that's what we can have as well. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. Just those three verses this morning. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. Paul is writing to Timothy, pastor at Ephesus. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and shipwrecked the faith, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So the main thing he's telling him is right in the middle, right at the end of verse 18, fight the good fight. What does that mean? Let's break it down. See, this is what gets you out of bed in the morning. This is what he's saying. Timothy, this is what gets you out of bed in the morning, and it's to fight. And if you're going to fight, it means it's an active battle against something, right? And we learned earlier in 1 Timothy 1, in verses 4 and 7, it should be a fight against false teaching. And we learn right here, verse 20, it should be a fight against Satan, against evil. But it says fight the good fight. So you, you need to be fighting for the right things. Because if you're fighting for the wrong things, it's the wrong battle. And you will lose that battle. 
But if you fight the good fight, it means you're fighting for the right things, the things that matter most to God. And we've seen already in 1 Timothy, in verse 11 of chapter 1, we saw that the truth of the gospel is what we should be fighting for. And we should be sharing the truth of the gospel with other people in love, we saw in verse 5. So if I can just summarize this in this working definition of fight the good fight, it's this, and I'm just going to leave it up here the rest of the time. It means to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. To show and share the truth of Jesus in love. And when you do this, you know full well that the victory is already guaranteed because of what Christ has done. Because of his triumph over death, sin, and the devil by rising from the dead. So it's a good fight because the victory is sure. So when it says fight the good fight, it means show and share the truth of Jesus in love. So let's move on. What's the, our main weapon for fighting this good fight? Verse 18, I'll read it again. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. Notice that Paul's genuine love just shines through with this personal touch. He says, Timothy, my son. Timothy, you know how much I care about you. You know how much we've been through. You know how much we've walked through together. And then he tells him, hey, remember your main weapon. Remember your calling. Well, and, and it says, in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. What was that? What were the prophecies previously made about Timothy? Or what was his calling from God? Short answer is we don't know. So Paul mentions this later in 1 Timothy and again in 2 Timothy, but we don't find out what it was. At the very least, the prophecy had something to do with Timothy serving God in full-time ministry because that's what he's doing now. He's a pastor in the town of Ephesus. But a prophecy is this. It's, it's a spontaneous word from God through someone else, through other people. And God gives us calling and direction through others sometimes in life. It always needs to align with Scripture, and it should be tested by other people who test it up against Scripture as well. And we saw that a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians 5. But Timothy here is called to actively show and share the truth of Jesus in love, so to fight the good fight. And he's, he's called to do it with his main weapon, which is something that we don't know. Now that might seem kind of empty and hollow. It's like, Matt, good job. You really discovered the stuff in the text for us this week. But it's, we just don't know. Like nobody knows this. And I actually think it's almost better that we don't know what it was. It, it makes it more about God's calling than Timothy's strength or Timothy's gifting. And I think it's better that we don't know because it then can be easily tailored to each one of us. We don't have to get hung up. Oh, man, I need, to, I need to receive that same calling Timothy did. No, you don't. God made you unique. So what has God called you to do? And how do we figure that out? Do we have to sit around and wait for a prophecy? Not necessarily, although God might do that. But I want us to think about it like this first. Where was Timothy to fight the good fight? Where was he to do this? Right where God placed him, in Ephesus. 
So you are called to fight the good fight or actively show and share the truth of Jesus right where you're at. So Boone, Dayton, Moingona, Webster City, Perry, wherever you're at, your battlefield is already set for you. Now certainly God might lead you elsewhere someday, but right now he sovereignly placed you right where you're at. So you were to fight the good fight there. Who was Timothy to fight the good fight for? He was to fight the good fight for the people in the church of Ephesus because he was the pastor at the church in Ephesus. So you and I are called to fight the good fight or to actively show and share the truth of Jesus in love with the people that God has already placed in our lives. We can get so caught up in finding God's specific call for our lives. What's he telling me to do? You know, I just got to wait for that specific word from God that we forget. He's put us sovereignly right where we're at with the people we're around. Your family members, your coworkers, your friends, your church family, your neighbors, the person who cuts your hair, everyone you come in contact with. That who is, that's who God has called you to fight the good fight for. And we can trick ourselves into thinking That missionaries and pastors are to fight the good fight while the rest of us just cheer them on from the sidelines. But it couldn't be further from the truth. You are called to fight the good fight today right where you're at with the people who are in your life. If God is sovereignly in control, which he is, he has you right where he wants you on purpose. So quit waiting around for a DM straight from God or text message straight from God and fight the good fight right where you're at. However, Timothy had a unique, specific calling from God. So how do we figure out our unique, specific calling from God as well and then use it as our main weapon to fight the good fight? Well, I really enjoyed this book a few years ago by Kevin DeYoung, if we can put that up. Yep, it's called Just Do Something. I love the subtitle better, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. It's a good read. Just do something. So actively show and share the truth of Jesus in love, and as you do, what do you find God really using you in? As you do, what do you find yourself enjoying? As you do, what do others notice that you excel at? In college, I tried all sorts of things for the Lord. I I tried lots of things to show and share the truth of Jesus, and I was bad at a lot of them. Like, just discovered some things that it was like, oh yeah, that's that's not so much me. I would if I had to, you know, if God really made, but that's, yeah, maybe that's someone else there. But I remember I was helping out with a youth group and I, I was teaching. I can't remember what I was teaching on um, to some seventh graders. One of the first time I'd ever taught the Bible to anyone. Um, and I'm teaching to these seventh graders and one of the pastors comes up afterwards and goes, Matt, you know, um, God really used you today, and I, I've seen this before, you know, and he says, you're good at teaching complex truth with ease. I was like, really? 
And I've had people affirm that over and over, and I enjoy doing that. And it's one of my main weapons to teach, especially harder truth, complex truth in the word with ease. And I don't sh- share that to brag or anything like that. I just share that as an example so you can see, hey, this, this is what it could look like lived out. But see, our main problem a lot of time with figuring out our main weapon or, or our unique calling is simply that we haven't tried enough stuff for Jesus. Like, just, just do something. Do a lot of somethings for Jesus and see what sticks. Throw some things against the wall. See what sticks. Or maybe you just haven't treated the stuff you're already doing as an opportunity for Jesus. So think about this. Your workplace, I'm positive, has opportunities to show and share the truth of Jesus in love every day. Your home has opportunities to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. Your gym has opportunities to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. Whatever hobby you have, there are opportunities to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. But for you, what's your main weapon? See, when you find this, when you just start trying stuff and it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's this and it's not that. When you find it, use it and use it often. So let me give you some more examples from real people sitting right here this morning. So my wife, Heather, who unfortunately isn't here today. Our youngest is sick. You can pray for him, Ian. Um, but anyway, uh, she is an incredible listener. Okay, and anyone who knows her knows that this is her main weapon. And this, by the way, this these things could be spiritual gifts or not. Um, I think it's a mix of like wiring and that sort of thing. But um, her main weapon is being a great listener, and she showed and shared Jesus to many through the years through listening. And it's cool as I shared this with her, she immediately went, "Oh, you know what yours is, right?" And I'm like, "I think so." what? And she's like, being decisive. And I'm like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Um, and all I could immediately think of was the shadow side of uh, the dark side of, of that strength. But, um, but yes, she was right. So that was, that was cool. So even as you, I share that to share with you, you know, as you share with other people who are close with you, maybe they know already, you know, what kind of your main weapon is. Um, Randy Shaver, Right here, Randy. So um, he's one of our elders, head of our finance team. He completes tasks with great detail and great communication. And a lot of things have gotten done at our church to serve our church family because of you. So thank you, Randy. But that is one of your main weapons. Emily Smith, who was up here doing announcements earlier, um, she completes, she, she excels at teaching kids the Bible accurately and effectively. And she does this amongst other things in our church, by the way. I could, I could just keep going here. But um, she's written our VBS. She wouldn't stand up here and say that. But she's written the curriculum for the VBS um, and lines up everything that's taught to our kids um, on Sunday mornings. Travis and Robert, these guys, these guys love sharing about Jesus boldly and they love inviting people to church. And that is a weapon that you guys use over and over. I don't know if there's a Sunday that goes by anymore that I don't meet someone that one of you two invited. Um, Ryan and Elaine Palmer make people feel welcome and at home. They often open up their home for various things. Um, and they even, I mean, as early as yesterday, Ryan chose to spend his birthday 
being hospitable, helping out at a funeral here. So God has called you to fight the good fight in, with your unique weapon as well. But, but here's the thing. Don't spend so much time at the gun shop that you don't just do something. You don't just buy something and fight right where you're at with who you're with. And as you do that, you'll figure out your calling and your wiring, your main weapon. Now let's move on to what I'm going to call offensive weapons for fighting the good fight. These are ones that we all need. I'm going to go through a couple offensive, a couple defensive. So back to the text, 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. I'll read them both. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. Beginning of verse 19, having faith and a good conscience. There they are. There's the offensive weapons. So we're going from really specific, unique, like this unique main weapon to now general weapons that we all have. And these are the offensive weapons to show and share the truth of Jesus in love. So these offensive weapons are more like if your main weapon is like your gun, okay, these are like your fists and your feet, all right? These are the ones we all need and are essential. So... The first one is faith. Faith is trusting God. So this means to to cling to and trust in God's goodness, to trust in his power, to trust in his truth. And that is what enables us to, to share the truth of Jesus in love. Now, certainly, we must initially repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. This is where this all starts. You must be saved. You must turn from your sin, repent, and be saved and initially trust in Christ. If you haven't yet and you want something worth getting up for in the morning, trust in Christ today and begin that incredible journey walking with him. Martin Luther said this, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. So this confident faith that Martin Luther is talking about that we see here in 1 Timothy 1.19, this confident faith that you could stake your life on a thousand times, it's confident because it's rooted in the grace of God through Jesus Christ and Him going to the cross and rising from the dead. So give your life to something that rock solid and sure. Give your life to fight with a guaranteed W. So it starts with initially trusting Christ. But you will never share with someone something that you don't first fully trust. This happens for me all the time. I, I, just, I love spreading the word about things in general, sometimes really ridiculous things. Um, most recently, I found this little... Uh, YouTube short video that I love showing because it, it's a lot of talent. It's kind of stupid, but um, there's four guys. One of them, it's one guitar, four guys. One guy is reaching over and playing the top strings like a bass. Another guy is playing the bottom strings like an electric guitar. Um, the other guy is is like on the end of the guitar with percussion, and then there's another guy singing, and three of them end up singing three-part harmony going on, um, and I forget the song, but it's, it's beautiful, um, but I, I've showed so many people that video, 
Why? Because it's inspiring to me. I can't help but share that video with other people, right? So the same thing is true for us with Christ. We need to practically renew and grow our faith and trust by just telling God each day, hey, God, I I trust you. I trust you. I have a prayer list that I pray through frequently. And something I have on there is, is this, and I love praying this. I just go, God, I trust in what you're doing with this today. And then I just say, I trust what you're doing right now with this. And I just list things. Then I go, God, I trust you with what you will do with this, this, and this. And both of those are just so vital. I trust you with what you're doing right now and what you're going to do. And these aren't empty words if you don't fully feel it and even mean it. You know, some days are like that. But it builds the disciplined muscle of trust as we just choose each day to go, God, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And as we renew our faith and trust in God, we're refueled to tell others the truth of Jesus in our life. And then as that trust grows, we can't help but show them that video. We can't help but share it, but not a stupid video. We can't help but just share Christ with people. We can't help but just show Christ to people. In fact, I dare you to tell God, I trust you daily. And I would bet good money if I was a betting man, which I'm not. But I'd bet good money that you'd start sharing Jesus more if you just simply said to God, I trust you each day. So it's faith. That's one of our offensive weapons. But another one is a good conscience. What does that mean? Well, conscience doesn't, our conscience doesn't tell us what is right or wrong. People get this backwards, okay? It doesn't tell us what is right or wrong. God's word tells us what is right or wrong. So get Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio out of your head. Do not always let your conscience be your guide, okay? But a conscience reminds us what we think is right or wrong. So for followers of Christ, our conscience can be a great tool to help us remember what's right or wrong, what is true from God's word. But it can also be a great hindrance for us if our conscience is not calibrated to God's word. So let me put it like this. Um, I'm not a mechanic, but I know enough to know that if the alignment on your vehicle isn't right, you're going to have problems. So If your alignment isn't right, your steering wheel is probably going to be turned to the right, and you're going straight. That's a trip, you know, and that is that is quite the trip if you're if you're driving with your alignment off. But that's what this is like. So, our conscience needs to be aligned with God's word, and if it is, then it's a good conscience. But if it's aligned to our feelings that day or align to what other people are saying that may or may not be true, you got a bad conscience that can't be trusted. So we need to calibrate our conscience to the truth of God's word. To have a good conscience means to be reminded correctly of God's good standards. And if we're reminded correctly, our lifestyle will line up with God's standards. Now certainly we won't be perfect in this, right? But our overall mind and conscience and life, when it's 
aligned and calibrated to God's word, we can more effectively then show people the truth of Jesus in our life. So this good conscience thing has, has more to do with our integrity. Warren Wearsby said it like this. He said, one man said of his hypocritical pastor, he's such a good preacher, he should never get out of the pulpit. But he's such a poor Christian, he should never get into the pulpit. God keep me far from that being true in my own life as a pastor. But wouldn't it be tragic to find your main weapon of whatever it is, to fight the good fight, decisiveness, listening, hospitality, whatever, to be used by God mightily in that one area of life and have the rest of your life look like an unbeliever? See, people's fake sniffers are really keen these days. So we, we must not merely share Jesus. We have to show people Jesus. And this starts with having a good conscience that is aligned with God and his word. So there are the offensive weapons, faith and a good conscience. The defensive weapons for fighting the good fight, these are the ones to protect yourself like armor or like a bulletproof vest. We find in the next part of verse 19. So it says, having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. So the defensive weapon is simply this. Don't reject faith and a good conscience. Because it says, which some have rejected. What have they rejected? They've rejected faith, trusting in the Lord. They've rejected having a conscience that is lined up to God's word. So daily, your choices reject Christ or they embrace Christ. Daily, your choices reject God's good standards or they embrace them. And if you choose over and over and over again to not trust Christ and to ignore his ways, sooner than later, you will wake up with a life that has been shipwrecked. This is true of every scandal of a Christian pastor or leader ever. But it's not just of well-known leaders. See, every marriage that ends in divorce, either one or both of them slowly but surely rejected Christ in his ways. Every affair that's ever been committed by a follower of Christ, they slowly but surely rejected Christ and his ways. And none of us are immune to this. There are real consequences to sin on this earth. And certainly God forgives And there's grace for any and all sin that we repent of, but this does not mean that there's no real consequences here and now when we sin. We need to daily embrace Christ, daily embrace His good ways. We need to battle in His strength to not reject Him. That is one of our defensive weapons. Don't reject faith in a good conscience. And the next defensive weapon we see in verse 20, he says, among them, among those who have shipwrecked their faith, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now again, I dug deep, I'm telling you, no one knows who these guys are, okay? Hymenaeus and Alexander, there's some hunches we don't actually know. But it's clear that Timothy knew who they were and Paul knew who they were. So what's important here is that Paul is giving Timothy some living examples of what not to do. See, it's one thing for Paul to say, hey, by the way, Timothy, don't blaspheme. 
It's another thing to give him examples of what happened to people who did. And these guys, they rejected Christ and his good ways to the point of blaspheming. And blaspheming is someone who teaches false things about God. And we don't know how they did that. They could have taught false things about God by simply not living a lifestyle congruent with God's standards. They may not have even been going out and saying anything. They could have just been living a double lifestyle and being unrepentant. So when it says that they were delivered over to Satan, we actually see in 1 Corinthians 5 a similar circumstance with a guy. And it's the same language here. And this just means they were kicked out of the church for a time into Satan's domain. At least for now, Satan has pseudo-control over things in this world. Pseudo-control because we know God actually has the reins and he will take them back completely when he comes back and I wish it would happen soon. Come Lord Jesus. But that, this passage, that passage in 1 Corinthians 5 actually shows us that if believers are living in unrepentant sin, so let me be clear what I'm talking about. All of us have sin. Myself included. Talking about you sin, you know it's wrong. Others point out, hey, probably shouldn't go there. And you go, whatever, I don't care. And you treat God that way and you treat anyone else who talks to you about it. You go, yeah, whatever. That's unrepentant sin. That passage in 1 Corinthians 5 and in Matthew 18 and here, consistent message. They need to be warned, pleaded with, pleaded with, please just repent, turn away from that sin. I'll help you out. And then warned again, and then perhaps as a last measure, they need to be kicked out of the church for a time. Why? So that they'll wake up and repent. You see, this is a restorative thing. We read this and we think, oh, they're just bringing down the gavel so they're gone forever. No, it's, it's meant to be restorative. Notice it says, so that they may be taught. No, not so that they would be forever damned. No, so that they could be taught, so they would turn things around. Sometimes we don't get it until we have a harsh measure, until we're at rock bottom. Commentator Robert Yarbrough said this, Whereas congregations would normally have prayed for one another, there were evidently cases where petition would shift from divine protection to divine discipline. Sometimes harsh measures are required to wake people up. We've all experienced that. Now I could spend my whole message on this, and I have in messages before, and I'm sure will in the future, but I want to get back to the point. Here's the defensive weapon. Don't blaspheme. And you might think, well, duh, right? Sounds good. I won't teach false things about Jesus. Got it. But think of it like this. Don't teach false things about Jesus in the way that you treat people this week. Don't teach false things about Jesus in the way that you speak to people this week. Don't teach false things about Jesus in the way that you address hard subjects in our culture this week. And this scripture, it ends on a somber note, doesn't it? And it ends on a somber note for good reason. 
Because neglecting to fight the good fight, neglecting to show and share the truth of Jesus in love is destructive, depressing, and it's a hopeless path in life. And will leave it, leave you very, very challenged to get up in the morning. But if you treat each day as a battle in which the victory is already secured because of Christ, you can have profound hope, joy, and purpose even on the most mundane day in Iowa. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. And there were some harder things to hear in your word today. So I just pray that they would land softly. And you would under, people would understand what you're saying and take up this call to arms to fight the good fight. And I thank you that you don't call us to sit back, but you call us to get in the fight. You invite us to get in the fight. So help us to do that. But it's not a fight like any other. Our fight is to show people Jesus, to share Jesus with people, to introduce them to your life-changing, eternity-altering truth of Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to trust you, and as we do that, as you give us the faith to trust you, that we would be bold, and each day in our own unique way, in our own unique setting, that we would fight the good fight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You stand and worship with us. Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry, then from north to south. And east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Were the whole earth echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to
Yeah. 